Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jeff. We have an exciting launch that's happening on Thursday, June 11th. Head over to LinkedIn and look up Gain, Grow, Retain. Go ahead and follow the page and we'll have more announcements soon. If you hire me, this is what I will do. Um, so it's, you know, laying that foundation early on um, and getting that buy-in. So, and then I talked about like how I'd earn trust over the first 30 days, right? Like doing your due diligence, making sure that you understood everyone's everyone's business pains across the organization. Yeah. Um, and then also made sure that everything you were doing benefited everyone, not just your team, right? So like when they felt like there was upside to them, everyone kind of like leaned in a little bit more graciously. Welcome to the Game Grow, Retain podcast. You came into that, you, you interviewed and basically set expectations of what you wanted to do during the interview. And my guess is if you had felt um, it at any point, like they weren't in for that type of change, then you might've said, this may not be the right opportunity for me. And I will go find that right opportunity. Correct. And I think that's how I approach interviewing overall. It's if this is what you want, great. Here's what I'm going to give you. But when I try to do that, like I can't be met with resistance either, right? Like I'm very clear in outlining my approach. Um, I'm also very transparent about like the fact that I know it works, right? It's kind of proven at this point. I've done it in several organizations. I have a very clear um, organizational fit where I think I kind of plug in nicely. Like I would say like 100 to 500 employees, 20 to 80 million in revenue. Um, those size companies, I come in and I feel like I can be very transformative if the organization top down is really bought into that process, right? And really does want to make that investment. Um, mm -hmm. I think that when I do lay out that blueprint and I am very clear about what my approach would be, not only what I would do, but how I would do it, when I would do it, people feel bought in. Um, and so it's just, it's very clear for everyone. And I think from a organizational standpoint, especially when it comes down to like funding this, um, you know, being very clear also about like what the revenue benefits are from a growth perspective, right? Like yeah. how can we impact retention? How can we impact growth as a result of this, right? And even from our product teams and our, like our CTO, for example, you know, what is the, the benefit to them, right? Having better access to customer feedback and building a solution that's actually in line with what your customers need and the direction and vision of the industry, right? Instead of building yeah. things in a bubble. So I, I think I'm pretty clear on laying out the benefits for everybody as it translates to their organization. Yep. So one of the questions you threw out before we started recording was, how did you get support from the CFO to purchase the technology? So tell me a little bit about your business case. Approach. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, CFOs, they're number, numbers people. Um, so they don't want to hear all the fluffy things about how it's great for customer experience and how it's going to help because we'll have more people to talk to them. Um, right. They're, they're numbers driven. So for me, I've always taken the approach of, you know, we, I do top, top down, bottom up modeling beforehand anyway, to figure out what's the time that we're investing in certain tasks and activities. Right. So I want to just understand like, where are we, where do we need to make investments and what does that look like from a dollar standpoint? Um, then also if we change engagement, we change activities, what will that translate to from our retention standpoint, our growth standpoint? Um, you know, and I'm, I'm very conservative with all my numbers, but I basically put together a model that helps them understand this in, in two, through the two different lenses I found very effective is one, how are we going to help improve retention as a result of this, right. whether it's a solution or people that I'm bringing on, right? Either of those two things require funding. Um, and then yeah. how will that also help us reduce the need to hire more? So I went in with a very aggressive hiring plan, which was approved to hire 20 people in my first year here, um, which is nearly unheard of for a company our size and was approved. Um, and the reason was, is because it was easily mapped back to our revenue trajectories over three years. So I put together a three-year growth plan and I basically said, hey, listen, the compounded value of us saving X percent of customers. So if I have improved retention rates by 3%, that compounded value at my corporate and enterprise segments alone is going to translate to this it covers itself if I can scale. 
so I, I literally just put together a bunch of charts and data that just helped really tell my story with with facts and data and numbers and honestly that's what they were bought into it was less about my story of like why this is a good experience for our customers and how we're all going to benefit it was literally a numbers game right like the more you put in investments from like the tools and people like this would my output this is what my output would look like yep um uh i think at the end of the day a lot of this comes down to just core business acumen right a lot of yeah. this is not new it's um you know customer success is maybe a new buzzwordy term but the people who are doing really well leading customer success teams are actually just good managers, good leaders, and, and not, not just in the customer sense or the people sense, although those are good too. They know how to deal with numbers, how to talk to a CFO. And yeah. I mean, look, so it's, you know, I had to get experience doing that at some point, but what we've been encouraging CS leaders to do is go sit down and talk with your CFO. Now's a good time to do it because you're having to build a concession yeah. framework anyway, most likely. So it's a great time to get to know how they think. And the more you have them as an ally in your day to day, the better off you're going to be. So sounds like, uh, sounds like you were able to do that really quickly at IntelliShift, which is good. Yeah. I mean, listen, the, the challenging thing is if you don't have good data, it's hard to, it's hard to That's right. build a model off of bad data. Um, so it definitely helps if you've got a handle on even some directional data, right? It doesn't need to, need to be exactly spot on dollar for dollar, but directionally you need to understand what that looks like and how that would translate over time. So you did a good job with Pulse. I was really impressed with your talk. Um, What's been the feedback from Pulse so far? I think a lot of a lot of folks are really interested in like how do you move so fast. I think a lot of folks get stuck. Right, there's a lot of bottlenecks in organizations where, you know, it's like hurry up and wait. Um, Like yeah, 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 we want to do all those things. Go do all those things, and it makes it very challenging to execute them because there's bottlenecks Mm -hmm. and blockers. Um, So there's a lot of feedback on you know how did you how did you drive as much change as you did in 120 days. Um, and so I kind of walked through my methodology and my approach there, which was outlining for them, you know, my first 30 days was about earning trust and building credibility. So it was me investing in learning and understanding the business, right? Doing my due diligence, whether it's the industry, our customers, the data, the product, the space, um, and then formulating a plan from there, right? Like I didn't walk in day one and say, here's my blueprint without a real core understanding of what I was walking into and how we yep. could change. Um, you know, and then step two was getting that cross-functional buy-in, presenting a good, well-thought-out plan and strategy that benefited everybody. It wasn't about what is it going to do for my team and how am I going to win? It was, you know, how is this going to transform our business and in what ways? Um, You know, by doing that, I was able to get everyone at the top level, their support. And obviously when you've got executive level buy-in, everyone's kind of supportive of what you're doing. There's less, there's less blockers, right? All of a sudden doors start opening up conversations that hadn't happened before are happening. And I will tell you, I also have a very strong leader right now who basically tells me make waves, right? Like we know mm-hmm. that we have to do a lot of things differently and that what we've got today is not going to help us scale to tomorrow. So don't worry about ruffling feathers. Don't worry about, you know, following protocol or disrupting processes. We need to break things to make them better. Um, and, you know, I think being empowered in that way also contributes to my ability to run fast, right? I'm, I'm not, I'm not too concerned with the politics of things. And listen, I'm very easy to work with. I think, I think I'm a pleasure. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not running in like a bull in a china shop, but I am being very direct with, you know, these are the things that we have to do. It's not, it's not, a, I'm not asking questions in a lot of cases. I'm, I'm telling people like, this is what we're doing and here's how we're going to do it. And like, let's get on board with it. Cause it's the right. A lot, thing. Of, a lot of times there's been a vacuum anyway, in that kind of leadership and guidance. And so it's, in my experience, it's welcome when you do that. Um, okay. So here's a different angle on this. Yes. So cross-functional leaders, in my experience, most of the time, except for maybe some, like some, maybe some processes with sales or maybe some certain processes with products they they can be more challenging to get buy-in for change. But I've had the experience relatively recently 
of teams being like the actual CS team being harder to, to change their mind about how they're going to work and do things. So have you had that experience? It, where has it been harder with the team than it has with the leadership team? So, because the leadership team yeah. usually knows that change needs to happen, yeah. right? And they're welcoming you in to, to drive that change. But then you, then you find that the people that you are now directly um, you know, leading are, are going to be more resistant to it. Yeah, so I don't know if there's going to be a lot of fans of my response here, but I will tell you. So I came in and one of the things I do is I evaluate people. And I always say there's a skill and a will thing that I'm assessing. It's mm. uh, are you willing to do the new job that's being described? Um, and then do you have the skills to do the job? And quite, quite frankly, you know, I can come in pretty early and I can sniff out BS and I can figure out where there are gaps. And I basically re-interview everybody um, when I'm walking in and inheriting a team. And very early on, I made some, some changes that I think rocked the boat. Um, we released some individuals and that wasn't because they weren't great people. That wasn't because they didn't have good experience doing what they were doing, which is more account management. They didn't have the right skills and maybe the will to do the new role that I needed them to. Um, I will say making those changes definitely got the attention of a lot of folks on the team. And I was not faced with the resistance. I've got a lot of people who are very eager to try to figure out how to do this new job in this new world. Um, and I've also made it very clear, like this isn't this isn't up for debate, right? Like this is what the job entails. We've transitioned from account management to customer success. I've been very diligent about not only laying out new roles and responsibilities and making things very clear about new processes. I've also told folks like, this is the job. And if you're not doing this, you're not doing the job. And if you're not doing the job, we'll have different conversations. Um, and then lastly, the last thing that we did is because it was a new job that effectively I was asking them to do, we presented everyone with new job offers. Um, and so I basically said, this is a new role. When you were hired mm -hmm. way before I was here, you were brought on as an account manager and it had a title and a comp plan and roles and responsibilities that are very different than what we're moving towards. So here is your new job description, your new title and your new compensation plan. And you have the ability to either accept my job offer, um, and continue with me on this journey or decline that. And that's okay as well. This new role might not be for you. I'm not forcing you into it, but let's talk about what that looks like. And we can figure out an exit strategy or Perhaps there's another team that's a better fit for you, but I'm not trying to force anybody to do something that they don't want to do. Um, but at the end of the day, I have to do what's right for the business. Yeah. So I took that approach and I will say like from an executive level, our, my leadership is thrilled. They liked the formality of it. They liked my directness. They liked how I got everyone on board with it. They liked that there was a very clear delineation of like, okay, you're not doing this anymore. Here's a new job description. Everyone signed off on it. Everyone got new comp plans. Everyone got new variables and targets. Um, so establishing that was really key because there was a lot of, there's a lot of variance in titles and comp and everything was all over the place. Yeah, so standardizing yeah. everything was good. Um, and I, honestly, I think the team actually welcomes the structure because there was so little structure before that yeah. I think you operate better when you actually know what you're accountable for, right? Like if I go into work every day and I actually don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, it makes it challenging. I have a very clear understanding of what I'm here to do. I can do it and I can do it well. So, you know, I think it's been interesting for all of them and I appreciate their patience as we've gone through this journey already, but it's gonna, it'll get more interesting. And, you know, like I said, so far, at least we're getting the results that we wanted to. And that was big. Yeah. So many companies are, you know, especially going at that stage, right? Getting to a hundred people is sort of a, almost like a step function milestone. It's like, okay, now we've got to get serious about what the roles are and how maybe support is now going to be a different thing than customer success or customer success is going to be a different thing than account management. Right. And, and, yeah. and the reality is you have, you find that there are people playing those roles who didn't even realize they were doing so many different things that mm -hmm. were, and, and they don't understand why they weren't able to sleep at night and why they weren't able to work a normal 40 hour week um, or why they felt like they were never getting any traction with their customers is because they were trying to push too much earth. Um, so a lot of times the, you, you, you create those roles 
and then people sort of fall into their natural fit and they're like, holy crap, I love my job now. Yeah. And it's a completely different ball game. So that's great. Um, and, and it's not, by the way, it's not for those listening. It, when we talk about customer success, we're not just talking about the role of customer success manager. We're talking about the customer success functions, which live under an umbrella, yep. right? Which typically includes services, maybe consulting, support, training, account management, support, yep, all those things. account management, uh, maybe a renewals team, depending on the nature <laughs> of your company. So um, all that is the part of the customer success function in my mind. Yeah, so, no, agreed. Um, one question for you in terms of uh, back to this, going back to the cross-functional um, collaboration part. One of the things that we've always tried to do, and it's, it's maybe a little bit heavy in nature, but I'm curious your feedback on it. We've always tried to get what we call a customer strategy team. We call it the CST together. And that would be the, pretty much the product leader, uh, the customer success leader, maybe the sales leader, but certainly the marketing leader. Um, and then ideally the CEO would be involved in that as well in a one to 500 person company, but put together a cross-functional coalition whose job it is to help figure out what the customer experience and the customer dashboard should look like for the business and then prioritize initiatives together so that if there's resistance in a certain area, they're actually the ones provisioning for that in their department and helping make it go forward. Um, we've done this in a few cases. Uh, just wondering if you've ever done anything like that relative to the cross-functional piece of what you do. Probably not as formally as we should have. Um, I think there's always stakeholders that are accountable, and this brings us back to like, you know, does your organization have a racy model? Um, but mm. you know, for us, it's it's a little looser here. We have a very like because our organization is still small, right? I still think like even 100 employees, I still think of it as lean, um, given what we're doing and the volume of customers that we have. So for me, you know, we haven't formally put anything in place right now, but I think that is, that's the direction we're headed. What I would say is we've got a lot of buy-in on initiatives and that's how we've been attract, like that's how we've been managing it is more at the individual initiative level rather than a cohesive strategy, just because there's just so much tactical work that needs to happen day one for me. Um, that until we've gotten some of the, just the core fundamentals in place, I can't, I can't, I can't get my head above to that level of water just yet. Yeah. Well, it's the executive team then, right? They're the customer yeah. strategy team. Right? Yeah. They own it all. Um, Cool. And it's okay to have a roadmap too. You don't have to do it. Like not everybody is Christy Falteruso and can do it in 120 days. Right. So to be fair, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a roadmap, right? And, yeah. and that's the other thing too. It's like, well, what can we bite off this quarter? Like what are the, and I always tell people, look, pick two things, yeah. pick two things you really want to do. Do well. Maybe it's the sales transition and then you want to implement success for your tier one accounts. Like just implement because you're going to yeah. learn once you start implementing We've had to learn this the hard way. And I mean, we, we are a consulting firm. We work with B2B SaaS companies, right? But we used to try to do big projects and, and get like big initiatives underway. And we realized that it's a lot easier if you just break it down into 20 small initiatives and have a roadmap for those things. And yeah. it tends to work better for us too. So, I mean, um, when you're working with companies, do they use like OKRs or some other kind of like goal setting model where they actually have higher level things that these individual tasks and activities can kind of map to that. So that way they can break things out and still feel like they're driving towards those larger goals. Some do and some don't and some do it poorly. Um, I think most do it poorly, to be honest. It's, just, it's hard. I mean, it's, it is, really it's super hard. hard. It's super yeah. hard. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, I've worked with you know, OKRs, uh, we, I've worked under the 40X model. We use the Advantage. I don't, have you ever read The Advantage by Patrick yeah, and Jim? Yeah, yep. There's I V2 mean, Mom, which was Salesforce version, right? It's a V2 Mom. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even really know that I know that one. Maybe I better. I shouldn't. Yeah, I should look that up now. But um, 
Yeah, I think it's really, it's all about, that's, those are execution frameworks. And, um, and so I think everybody, I don't know, I, I feel like everybody has something they've adopted or even a homegrown version of it is okay. But I think it's the, the level of fidelity in terms of how it's executed is, is all yeah. over the map uh, from what we've seen. Um, but, but if people do have an OKR structure in place, then it, it tends to be a very helpful uh, execution strategy for us to snap into. Yeah. And it does help. It yeah. does help so immensely. As, at a company level, we're not so. doing it formally right now. I am operating as if we are. Um, so I kind of pretend that there are bigger ones. So I've just set kind of my own objectives for the year, like a, a bigger goal that I had because I came in in January. So I figured January feels like a good time to to set that for the year. Um, mm -hmm. So I did that. So I built my roadmap plan based off of goals that I was setting. Like, what do I, what do I want to see the customer success organization look like at the end of the year? And then I've built out my quarterly goals for the entire year. And then all the KRs obviously that map to those. And, you know, that's been really great because the organization hasn't had that level of structure before. So I'm kind of introducing this new concept of like, how do you manage to these things? Um, I've been using 15.5 as the platform to kind of disseminate that information oh, cool. and keep track of it. And I will say also like it keeps people it keeps those things very visible for, for folks where I think there was individuals who struggle with a level of transparency we didn't have. Um, where now I tell everybody like, listen, this is what I'm focused on for this quarter. If it's not on here, you may hear no, and that's okay, right? I can't deviate, not all these things can be my priorities. I have to focus. And I will say like doing that, people understand, right? Like I'm, I'm getting less requests of things. People are putting less on my plate because they are very clear like, these are my priorities this is what I'm focused on. And as I start checking those boxes, I'll entertain other things. Um, but not until I've made significant process across the things that I am focused on. Yeah. Um, that's great. It's, it's almost like how we I'm drawing a, like a crazy parallel here, but it's how, almost how we think about communicating product roadmap stuff, right? Yeah. Customers come at you all the time for product enhancements and I need this, I need that, which is fair, but it tends to work out a lot better. If you say, if you say, instead of saying, no, we're not going to do that right now tell them why, <laughs> like, yeah. because, because I'm doing these other things. And I, it's funny. It's interesting that you mentioned this because I, I have always looked at the organizational roadmap very much like a product roadmap because the organization is part of the product, especially in a SaaS company. Yeah. Everything you're building, it, it sort of flows into the, the customer experience, which is all part of the product. So what, what is your, can you, can you tell us what your like one big thematic goal is for the year? Honestly, it was all built around the journey. Like we had to define what our customer, our orchestrated customer journey looked like. And so with that comes everything, right? It's like all the processes across all the stages, all the touch points. Um, it was obviously inclusive of everything, even in the pre-sales process. So not just within the customer success org, where that's been my focus right now, is just defining some of the stuff within my wheelhouse. But then more extensively is like really having a solid understanding of our customer journey as it pertains to like everything when they're thinking about purchasing a software or changing from a vendor that they have, right? They haven't even engaged us. They may not even know who we are. So everything from that, what is our brand exposure all the way through, you know, that level and stage of advocacy once they're a customer. So yep. that is, that's my goal is by the end of this year, I want a full visual map of what that looks like and have a good handle on, I would say like 80%. I think I put some number out there. Like if I can define and control 85% of the processes that are impacted across each of those things across the journey, then I'd feel pretty good about things. And, and that means the team knows what to do and when That's correct. by That's definition. Correct. And not just, right. yeah, not my team, right? Like everybody. The team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Capital so T. It's a lot, it. right? Like, so this, you know, we, we did a lot in Q1, Q2 has been, we've made a ton of progress. Um, obviously with our gainsight deployment, that's been huge for this quarter because it's operationalizing all the things we've already put in place across our customer journey. Um, we've rolled out in 
our new uh, customer onboarding program where in the past it was like sales to onboarding and then to CS. And our onboarding had no timeline. It, it kind of like went off in perpetuity. It was like, oh, well, because it's tied to installation. If installation is still going on, you just, you lived there. It was like purgatory. Um, and so I was like, well, I, for so many reasons, I don't need to tell this audience that, why that doesn't work, but we redefined it and we changed the sequencing so that it's sales to customer success, who introduces onboarding, right? Come together as an account team with very clear roles and responsibilities, running multiple things in parallel to continue on that journey. So we just rolled that out um, over the past two weeks and we've, we've actually tested it with a few new customers that have come on board. And I will tell you like everyone internally and our customers are thrilled. The feedback I got internally when we did, we did one of them yesterday, was another call with a customer. And it was like, that was the best kickoff call we've ever had. It was the best knowledge transfer we've ever done. We've never gone so deep with our customers. We never felt so prepared. The conversation was structured. We got everything we needed for their goals, their KPIs. Like we felt very teed up for success, right? And the customers were thrilled because it was so well orchestrated and organized and professional. We had great material. Like I redesigned all of our decks and our collateral. Everything has a, a new freshness to it, very modern, kind of has that SaaS feel. So I think everyone is feeling good about that transformation. And I, you know, so one person said um, in our organization, wow, I feel like we work at a real tech company now. Um, <laughs> and I kind of chuckled because I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you always have. <laughs> That's great though. Uh, um, so this is one of those areas that we end up I, battling is probably the wrong word, but we have to, we have to fight this battle a good bit. And I've actually um, had this experience in multiple companies that I've worked with where I mean, let's talk about what, what it normally looks like. It's very similar to what you just said, right? Sales sells the deal. And this is such a transactional mindset, right? Yeah. Sales sells the deal and then implementation picks it up. Implementation, right? Not onboarding, it's implementation. Yeah. They're project managers, they're going to configure the software. And then mm -hmm. they don't want anybody else talking to the customer because it confuses them. Yeah. By the way, I, I agree with that, right? To, because it's, um, especially when you deal with medium and small customers, it gets hard for them to handle more Correct. than one contact. However, the, the problems come later where okay, now the customer has a contractual question yep. or the customer disappears or there's the, the champion goes and gets another job during the middle of implementation. Now who's left stuck, stuck left pulling the bag, it's the implementation team, right? Who has really no desire or will to solve that problem because they're just trying to get the next one through the funnel. Correct. Sometimes they don't have the skill either, right? So if we go back to the right. two things, the skill and the will, are they equipped to go back to the executive and say, hey, like, look, Bob left. Who, who should we be working with now? Like, how do we want to manage this project? How do we get it back on track, right? Like, Now it's an engagement issue, Yeah. right? Yeah. It's an engagement issue. It's not a project. It's not an implementation issue anymore. Correct. So if you haven't implement, if you haven't introduced the CSM by that point, you're doing one of two things. You're either pushing that account back to sales to get some help, which if you have a willing sales team, maybe, but they're also trying to do their job. Yeah, their new the logo team, the like they've got their own agenda and initiatives. Yep. Right. Or you're now escalating that to the CSM who has never been in contact with the client, does not have a relationship. And all of a sudden, now you've dragged that CSM into a reactive mode that they will never get out of that Correct. account. So my recommendation is always the account executive introduces the CSM. They may introduce the implementation team at the same time. I'm even fine with that, right? But I, I like it. your approach. <laughs> I like your approach, which is like introduce the CSM. They're the quarterback from this point forward. They're going to introduce you to your implementation team. The implementation team is going to take a front seat role with you for the next little bit. But one piece that, again, people hardly ever get right is that initial success plan. Yeah. It's hard. You, you barely ever find any consistency in that being done. 
That's the CSM's job while the implementation team is starting to do the project management thing and the configuration thing and the requirements and the testing and all that stuff. The CSM can be doing that because they're going to have to own it in the long run anyway. So That's correct. Sounds and like we finally agree on that. Yeah, we introduced the notion of a parallel pathing process, right? Like mm -hmm. where we've got your onboarding team is going to handle this. We've also got solutions engineering because we do a lot of like third-party integrations. We do a lot of work with our APIs. So they're doing like that kind of project scoping and development with our dev team while onboarding is more company and user onboarding, right? So like how do you get their yeah. in, their installation configured, right? Like their their product set up, get all their users onboarding and do the training and enablement, um, right? But there's, there's definitely very clear roles and responsibilities. And so what we did with our new process, right, is it was, I think maybe the third or fourth slide in our deck, right? Like this is your account team. Here's who is what, these are the folks that are responsible for your success in the near and long term. Yep. Here's how they're gonna work with you. And then we also present the customer journey in, in its entirety, right? Everything to even the last stages where I talk about like, our plan is to grow together, right? I'm also very transparent. We're in a commercial relationship. Let's not pretend that we're not. And my goal is that you are wildly successful. And as a result of your success, hopefully, we are successful, right? And that obviously means your growth, right? You're going to stay with us longer because you've been satisfied, you've met your goals, and you're going to grow, right? You're going to want to consume more products because our products that you've used to date have helped you achieve what you were hoping to. So I'm very clear about all of that. And I will tell you, like, coming out of that meeting, we got three different calls set up. Three different calls. We got our onboarding kickoff call. We got a call scheduled with our solutions engineer who is working on scoping out the requirements for all of the integrations. And then we got our call set up to finalize their goals to put together their plan with our, our with our CSM. Beautiful. Like that to me was like the holy grail, like great, we got this those works. three things going. This works, this model yeah. works. And we were very clear as to why they were different, why they had to be different. And also we don't need the same person speaking to all three of us. So when we talk about their account team, we also had a slide that had like eight different functions that we know are key to our success. Like everything from there, who's your executive buyer to who is your billing contact, right? Like there's eight roles that we felt are really important. And you know, the salesperson, it was their job to tell us who they believed fit each of those buckets. And we present that slide and say like, these are the roles that are really important to our success, we believe. Do we have the right people identified? If not, who should we be working with? And this is how we see each of these roles working with us. Um, and from there, like we got, a, we got a clear understanding of kind of their org chart at a high level. But now all three of us, those key people, right? The CS team, the onboarding team, and our solutions team all knew who to work with and it was a different person. So it didn't feel like one person was taking on the burden of having three different conversations. It changed the dynamic of that. Yep. And we got access to the right people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people ask all the time, like, how do, we, how do we get our teams to not be so, like our CSM teams overburdened? And again, it comes back to, well, they're probably trying to do too many things that some of which they're not even qualified to do. Yeah. Right. Back to the skill piece that you mentioned. Uh, I love what you said about setting expectations. I was in, involved in a conversation on LinkedIn the other day about um, when actually it wasn't on LinkedIn. It was on the gang retain community. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, about like, when is the right time to ask for a reference? And some people said, well, after we do something good or after you get a good response, you know, back on an NPS survey, I said, no, nope, I'm going to ask for a reference during the sale. I'm going to ask for a reference, like during the kickoff, I'm going to tell them we want to use you as a reference. So help us, one, I'm going to set that expectation and two, help us figure out what it is that we can do together that will make you a reference for us. And we have to get aggressive, you know, in that conversation, not aggressive, that's the wrong word, but we have to be, uh, we have to be not so bashful. <laughs> and I think it comes back to what you did. Like you laid out a roadmap and you said, here's our life cycle. 
of what our relationship's going to look like. And yes, it's based on a commercial exchange of value. It's not just, you know, yeah. just and that friends, value isn't right? just dollars, right? Like there's real, there's value totally. measured in different ways. Um, right. Yeah. We set that stage for advocacy also. And I also, when I did this time around, which I don't know that I, I did or put as much emphasis on in the past is I talked extensively about our, our um, customer survey program. So I said, you know, these are the different surveys you can anticipate to see from us. And I said, this might not be it. There might be more, um, but these are the ones that you can confidently expect from us. And here's the timing in which you're going to receive them. And I walked them through and I said, you know, this feedback is so super important to us and it's critical to our success. We can't do better for you if we don't know how we're doing today, um, right? It's that we don't know what we don't know. And so, you know, they were actually like really excited to hear that we wanted that feedback and that we did have a very programmatic way to collect it. And what I told them our engagement would be, I said, I said, I need you to know that, that your feedback is not anonymous also, and it will be collected and we would be reaching out once that, that feedback is received. And I thought that was interesting because sometimes people feel like that anonymity is safe and like, okay, great, I'm gonna go fill out the survey and like, no one's gonna know it was me. And I also wanna be very clear, like, yes, we know who fills it out and we take that very seriously. We want everyone to engage. Uh, anyone who receives the survey, we wanna hear from you. It doesn't go to everybody, right? Like it's not applicable to everyone. But the folks that are targeted for these surveys, we do want to hear from you. I said, we will follow up. Your CSMs will follow up. It is important that you participate in that. And they were like eager to share. Like, and I told them, I said, your first one you'll get, you'll actually get in the next, you know, at this point, like 25 days, which is the post-sale survey, where we want to know, did your account executive set the right expectations with you in the sales process? Now that you've been with us for 30 days, is so far, have we met your expectations from both the product and onboarding experience? Yeah, so much of being customer centric is customer centric is being programmatic about it. Yeah, it, it um, there's a great quote on one of our podcasts or something. Oh yeah, it was a, it was from a podcast of Lisa Pratt from Kronos. I don't you know her on our on our advisory yeah, board. Yeah, yeah. She said, you know, it's easy to be it's easy to be um, good with customers like on a one on one basis. Like it, it's sort of common for us to be really good with customers mm -hmm. and CS people and as service people, but but really the way that you become a customer centric company is you become good programmatically yeah. and it's all the processes behind the scenes. It's the people building those processes, thinking about how do how do we make these processes work for customers and get them engaged with them. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I love it. If, if, uh, if you're getting a two or 3% response rate on your, on your surveys, you're not, you're not doing well yeah. enough there. Well, we've right? talked about that, right? There's much. more interest in the folks that didn't respond than there is in the folks that did. Right. Why aren't people providing that feedback? Yeah. That, that yeah. silent, deadly killer, right? The ones silent, that go. Silent, deadly killer. Yeah. That's it. Ones that go unheard. Cool. All right. Well, we'll do it again. So yeah. just for those listening, send questions to Jeff or me or Christy. We're, we're literally going through questions that we get on LinkedIn here since sometimes meandering off course. It's really bad when it's just you and I. I, I know. I, yeah, I agree. Jeff I feel back. like Jeff did a good job of kind of like, <laughs> Keeping us to one topic, maybe, or a bit more focused. I'm no good at that. That could never be my job, so. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. So we'll, we'll get Jeff back next week. We'll do it again. Until then. Awesome. Cool. Have a great week. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. <laughs>